What's shaking, cats and kittens? Thank you for supporting my podcast and my sustaining partners. I want to tell you about one of them right now, Charmington Holistics. Do you know what an apothecary is? Well, an apothecary makes and provides medicines. Charmington Holistics specializes in all natural herbal remedies and is an apothecary. So, what's ailing you? Can't sleep? Got a stomach ache? Got the blues? Well, head on over to Charmington Holistics where you can find herbal support for anything you need. A personal blended tea, herbal tonic, and supplements can offer you an alternative to that Advil bottle while an in-house herbalist listens to your needs as well. Charmington Holistics is your source for all things herbal. Head on over to 425 South Conklin Street in Highland Town or visit Charmington Holistics on Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok. And Charmington Holistics is open 12 to 5 on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. Head on over, check them out, tell them Rob Lee sent you. Welcome to Getting to the Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today, I am interviewing the executive director of the Maryland Art Place, Amy Cavanaugh. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So thank you for, for stopping by to, to, talk, to talk shop, to talk art with uh, old Rob Lee here. So I want to start off with um, the vital stats. What's your, what's your background? And uh, tell, us about, tell us about MAP and being in Bromo Seltzer. That's another, another thing that it's kind of developing and COVID's not really helped it with developing, but it's an area where it's the new art location, in my opinion, that people should be paying attention to. I agree with you. Um... Well, so first a little bit about me. My background is in music. I'm a conservatory trained cellist, and that is what I did for the majority of my life um, uh, until I didn't. Um, but I was actively playing up until about six years ago. Um, and I did like all the orchestral work and toured, and then I was in bands for many, many years and played in many bands and recorded. And I was in a band here in Baltimore for 10 years. Um, and I did that while I was at MAP actually for a while. Um, but now I don't play as much and I do, I mostly support artists as opposed to be an artist. Um, and uh, in regards to Bromo, um, just to make a clarification, Maryland Art Place is in its, its building and then the Bromo Seltzer Tower is down the street. Yes. Um, unaffiliated, um, and then we're, but we're all collectively in the Bromo district. So I completely agree with you that I think the Bromo district is, is thriving as the chair of the board of the Bromo district. I think it's thriving. Um, you know, we had some successful art walks last, um, last year that we hope to bring back this year. And Emily Brighter, the, the newer director of the district has done a phenomenal job at coordinating everything, which is what we so desperately needed between each of the venues from Lamondo to MAP to the Hippodrome to Everyman um, so that we can make these successful. Um, so that's sort of like a, in a nutshell, answer to those yeah. three questions. <laughs> so, the the so the Maryland Art Place, like your role as an executive director there, what does that encompass? And like, what are some of the, I guess the the goals overall for the Art Place for those who are undipped? Because uh, ultimately. There, there are people who are here who don't, who are in Baltimore, like, I don't know what that place is. And there are people who, or travel here, it's like, they got that here? So, so give us a little bit of that for those who are undipped and uninitiated. Sure, sure. I know it always surprises me, but then I realize there are a lot of people out there unfamiliar with MAP. Um, we actually just celebrated our 40th anniversary last, last year. 
And um, I feel incredibly honored to be here at the home during that period of time. I've been here for exactly 10 years this month. Congrats. Um, thank you. I've survived. Um, so, you know, MAP is really doing exactly what it set out to do in 1981, which is to support living artists. And at the time, um, in 1981, there was very little opportunity for living contemporary visual artists. The, the major museums didn't have the interest in contemporary art that they have today or the focus. Um, so it was a different climate. And there were just all these artists having, you know, no recourse. Um, the gallery structure and system was also a little elitist and um so therein, therein, MAP formed um, with the help of many wonderful people like Fred Lazarus from MICA, yeah. um, you know, Freddie Gross, and Marianne Mears, um, all these people who are still here today um, playing a role. And um, so the mission was to support living artists, and today that's still the case. I think now that we, um, we purchased our building in 1986, which is a 20,000 square foot, five-story building, um, to hold exhibition space, um, yeah. vacated it, um, moved to Power Plant Live and came back to the building in 2014 um, under my leadership, which I'm very proud of. And so I think today we're still supporting li living artists, but with a clarification that it's not just visual artists, the building supports all different types of disciplines. So we've got music studios here and um, uh, you know, print press and all different types of artists. So I think that if anything, um, our work is just expanded, but still yeah. the same, if that makes sense. It does. It, and, and, and it's great to hear about just different resources that are around. And I know that in reading that you guys are doing really like great programming um, and, and things of that nature, albeit we have the, the COVID restrictions and such. So I would imagine that that's been uh, modified in a way. So speak on some of that. You talked about the the involvement earlier with like some of the art walk stuff and mm -hmm. i was on a few of those and they were very great but um speak a bit more about some of um how, how you're achieving some of that support for the artists that are here yeah we were in a really great position when COVID hit ironically because we had already been sort of looking at virtual platforms um huh. and we had selected one before uh, we knew that this was going to happen um, so that was, that's been our biggest way has been sort of, um, honing back to how we can help visual artists. Um, and we've been using a platform to do online auctions and sales. So MAP has two major sales a year, one in the spring called out of order yeah. and anyone can show their work. You don't even have to be an artist. If you want to come put a piece of loose leaf on the wall and call it art, you could technically do that. Uh, I don't encourage that, but you could. Um, and then we have an affordable art sale in December every year called Under 500. Oh, yeah. uh, so we have switched to virtual doing hybrid um, between physical show and virtual show. And it's been pretty successful in that we've been able to reach a broader purchasing spectrum. So we're having buyers from out of state that would never be able to do this. Um, so in many ways, we've been able to make lemonade out of lemons. Um, with a virtual platform. I wish, you know, that translated to everything, but it doesn't. Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to bring my loose leaf and uh, I'm going to try to get myself <laughs> over as, a, you know, I'm just trying to be, you know, diverse in my artism. Um, <laughs> so let's see. Um, actually, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit and come back to something, but I, I don't want to leave this point you were, you were talking about there. Um, so 
let's let's talk a little bit about the impact of like the creative economy in Baltimore because I think in doing this, like in doing this this podcast, and you know, for me, it's a learning experience, but also it's an opportunity to try to like amplify a conversation around arts and business and where they may intersect and where arts and community intersects. So speak a little bit about the creative economy here, because people don't think we have artists here, but we're a very creative city. So what kind of like numbers are out there, um, ranges obviously, but what kind of numbers are out there about like the impact of art sales or, or people appreciating art or supporting art within Baltimore? Well, honestly, I wish there was more specific statistical information as, in regards to Baltimore, and I don't think that we're there yet. Um, it would be great if there was a poll that really focused on that kind of stuff, and I, it, those conversations have been happening in some of the boardrooms that I've been in. Um, but, you know, I can attest to the importance of the creative economy just running a, a building. This is a business, yeah. and we have businesses in here, and we have a lot of recording businesses in here and they are very much making money and paying rent and part of, you know, our cultural eco economic development system here uh, that everyone likes to talk about. So, I mean, in Baltimore, I mean, the arts definitely create jobs. Um, I think we could do a better job on a national level talking about what our cultural assets are. And I think somehow we kind of fail there, um, although it's getting better. We've got a lot of big names here, like Joyce Scott. Um, but there are other artists here, too, um, both in the recording industry and performing industry and visual art industry uh, that are not maybe getting the uh, the national press they deserve. Yeah. Um, that sort of drifted from your creative economy question, but it plays a role. Totally. Uh, you know, a lot of people think you have to go up to New York to buy art. And that's... It's not really true. <laughs> it's, it's not true at all. You'll find like a lot of great stuff in any city. And I think that the I think arts and the, the small business, a lot of pe- these people like that are selling art. They're they're entrepreneurs, too. And that's like lost in the conversation a lot. And it's like you're, you're both. You don't want to be but you're both. And uh, it, it has to be that acknowledgement of it. And, you know, I've talked to a few different like friends who were who are artists and it's like, oh yeah, you know, I sold a lot of stuff in Atlanta. And I was like, huh. And that works down there. Like only people are going to buy it from a certain place. It's like, you can get this right here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's something that we really try to work on as an organization, uh, especially with uh, the art sales over the last five years, we've put a big emphasis on patrons engaging not only with the object, but the maker. Yeah. Um, specifically through our affordable art sale. Because um, a lot of times people will, we've amplified um, the didactic on the wall. So it's not just saying the price, the medium, and the title of the artwork. And instead it's got, um, you know, biographical information about the artist. So sometimes we'll have a, a patron who's like, oh, I'm from Mississippi too. And yeah. then somehow there's this connection. And the next thing you know, they're buying the work or... You know, he went to that college. Uh, my, my son's going to that college. And it's small stuff like that, but it's really meaningful. Absolutely. Uh, People want to connect. Yeah, totally. So oh. in, in, in your, your role uh, as an executive, executive director, there's a litany of responsibilities. Um, and I guess if you were to sum it up as like 
it's going to be challenging, but to sum it up is maybe one or two like key like terms. So it's like I'm an arts advocate, I'm an arts supporter, what have you. What would those those words be? And what's something that you're really proud of in terms of the, the work that you've done with with MAP and the, the, the decade you've been there? Thank you. Um, yeah, I would say I'm an advocate. Um, I'm, I'm a supporter. I'm a patron. I'm a buyer. I, um, I am all those things. And I am an artist. So, um, but my role here is really to find ways to support artists uh, the best that I can. We've done, you know, some fiscal agency work for small artist groups, and we try to place artwork in commercial buildings. Um, and this is all stuff that sort of takes place outside of our normal production schedule. Um, so what I try to do is um, kind of expand our thinking beyond the white walls of a gallery, um, because there's there's just way more there than just that. Um, so that would explain my role. But what I'm most proud of really, and I mentioned this before, is moving that back to the building walls here on Saratoga Street. Uh, it was so important that we had connection at the street level with the community and then we're also part of, you know, a little ecosystem here in the Bromo District. Um, and that was a very challenging move, but it was um, it was worth it. And now we're here and now there's all this space available for artists to work out of and create that didn't exist before. That's that's huge. Like space making, place making, having a home per se is is yeah. huge. And you know, I've like in in doing this podcast, like I purchased my home with the desire of having my space in there to create. Like my second bedroom, it was never a bed. Uh, there's never been a bed in here. There's only you know recording equipment and green screens and microphones, and it for, for that specific purpose. Um, because I think. You, you have to have some semblance of, oh, this is where I create. And I think that that's something that's very beneficial for, for artists. This is where I create, this is where art is shown and everything kind of having its order in that way. So being able to, in, in the, I guess the added component, the, the house that I bought is in my old neighborhood when I grew up as a kid. So being able to come back to it in that same sort of way on a much smaller level, but in that same sort of way of like, no, this is gonna be here. This is, this is home for me. So hearing that, it sounds great. It's just great. Yeah, artists need their space. They need their creative space. It's, it's a very different space, you know? Yeah. So um, let's see, uh, I wanna talk about, since in that arts advocate kind of space, what is that that common request that comes from artists or just kind of people who are like, hey, MAP, can you help with this? What, what are, what, what is it? Is it, is it around funding? Is it around finding a mentor? And whatever it may be, uh, could you share a piece of advice you would give? Because people, sometimes they, they won't ask. Like I, I had an interview yesterday with someone who's a bartender and he was like, oh no, send a drink back if it's bad. You know, a lot of people don't want to ask the question or make the request. So what yeah. does that look like for Matt? Um, well, I mean, the biggest request is always for an exhibition. I mean, that's what we're known for mostly. So um, that request is pretty expensive and constantly occurring. Uh, unfortunately, we're a very large space, uh, fortunately and unfortunately. So um, we do a lot of group shows and try to figure out ways that we can serve as many artists, um, but in a careful and considerate way sure. um, through group shows and, and things of that nature. Um, but that is by far the biggest request is how do I get an exhibition in that? Um, and, you know, 
we, we really do try to think of ways to show work and present artists um, the best we can, given the limitations of what we have, because we only have about six shows here a year. Yeah. And so we partner mostly with other groups, um, such as um, actually we partner with Hotel Indigo up the street and we rotate shows there every quarter. Yeah. Um, and that's been fun. And it gives, you know, artists who maybe don't have such a giant breadth of work, but a maybe smaller breadth of work that we could present that we wouldn't be able to do here, but we can do there. Um, but that is by far the biggest request. And then the other is money, always money. Well. It's that's an industry wide thing, you know, <laughs> whether you're an administrator, a curator, an artist, it doesn't matter. We're all looking for the same thing. Uh, so almighty dollar. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> so innovative, diverse contemporary art experiences throughout the year and they're happening. Um, so outside of the, the size component and, and maybe looking for collaborative opportunities, what are some other criteria? Someone like hits, like they have that, that size of work that you're looking for. What other kind of pieces of criteria are you looking for? Like it has to, cause you're only, you know, you said you're doing what the, the six to eight or what have you. So it's like, look, we can't pick everybody. So yeah. what, what is, what is that criteria kind of look like? Well, I mean, so Matt has a program committee. I think the big misnomer is that Amy makes all the decisions and that's not true. <laughs> oh, really? No. <laughs> Amy doesn't um, make all the decisions. I make many, but um, we have a program committee that we refer to and we meet um, three to four times a year, but we talk to you often mm -hmm. um, and they help with the curation process. Um, and, and we have a whole litany of things that we look at from contemporary trends to um, diversity being a huge, huge issue that we sure. have to make sure we meet that mark always. Um, so, you know, these are all the things that we take into consideration when we're looking at a body of work or we're trying to you know, and you have to look around too, like if the Creative Alliance just to produce this, you know, show on, I'm just gonna make something up like cars, we're not gonna turn around and do an automotive show, you know? <laughs> um, so it's really, you know, just paying attention to what's surrounding us, looking at what's happening nationally with art, and then also um, keeping in mind community. Right now we're prepping up for probably one of our biggest community art shows. Um, and um, that is opening, and I should know, Caitlin, the 18th, thank you. <laughs> um, and it's interactive, so people can come draw on the walls, and, um, and there's bookmaking, and we'll have school groups in, and so that's, you know, that's a huge turn for what MAP normally does. Um, so I guess, I hope I'm making a clear point. We no, try don't. to keep things fresh. Um, and see where there may be holes in the city, things that aren't happening, that we can fill that gap. No, that that makes that makes total sense. Um, I, I think it's the the same way with creating like like content or what have you. It's like, oh well, I always describe it as there's only so many different angles you're going to have, and I find the most interesting or rewarding content is I don't want to hear everyone talking about the same topic. Like, oh, it's Automotive Month, sure you're going to have your evergreen content or what have you, but give me something that's unique that's done well and based on a reputation, like you know, MAP has been around as long as it has. It's like, oh, well, yeah, you guys are going to do this and it's going to be different from what, let's say, Creative Alliance or another venue is is doing. And it's like, oh, this is done right. This is done awfully. And this is interesting. And it's not the same that I'm seeing over there. It's not even in the same vein. 
That's the hope. I mean, that's the hope that, you know, we're filling in the gap. I mean, I think we all do it. I mean, because everyone's doing such a good job in the city. Um, yeah. You know, Creative Alliance is always doing a good job. Uh, Current's spectacular. Like, everyone's doing such a wonderful job. And um, so you don't want to, like, step on anyone's toes, but you want to make sure that you're, you know, not missing the mark on some things. And we have a really exciting year ahead. Uh, we're also reopening our basement cabaret sometime this year. Uh, which I don't know if you know, it's called the 14 Karat Cabaret for many years. Yeah. Um, we're rebranding re that and we just finished rebuilding the bar. Um, and that'll be a membership based um, venue. But we're so excited to be bringing that back. And that is a whole nother can of worms. Right? <laughs> so exciting. It's a lot of exciting things on the, on the horizon. So you've kind of say so you must have been reading ahead. You've already answered a question like, what's next? And it's like, well, you're answering it. Uh, so oh, that's great. No, no, no. It's all it's all good. I, you're doing a better job at this than I am. Um, so let's see. I, I think I think Baltimore is and that, these are the, like last two before I get to some rapid fire questions, really quick ones. Um, so Baltimore is a very DIY kind of city that that's like kind of baked in and is always finding ways to create something uh, and to solve problems. Right. It's like, look, this is an issue. I'm going to figure it out. Describe the role of art in the community in, in broad terms, obviously, like I feel like art really is the character to the, the soul that's in the city or what have you. And it sounds so corny coming out of my mouth, but that's what I think. What, what are your thoughts on what role art plays within the community like like Baltimore? Well, it's huge. I mean, it connects people for one. I mean, art often it touches on very um hard to talk about social topics. So it brings things to the forefront that may not otherwise be discussed. Um, but I think the connection piece is really important. I mean, just as example, the Bromo district is putting wayfinding decals all over the district so that the venues are all kind of connected to each other. And when people come to visit, they're gonna look at this art on the ground and they're gonna go, oh, okay, now I go this way. And I mean, as simple as it is, it's really important. Um, yeah especially to a visitor who's not from here. So uh, art's really um, important in that regard. Yeah. yeah. And I think this next question actually is kind of echoing the same thing, but I, I think it speaks more to like maybe public art, but how, how do the arts make Baltimore specifically, like the communities here feel like a little bit more livable and kind of stem that negative city reputation? Because you know, people will say, oh, this is happening. It's like, yeah, but it happens in any city. At least we got this as well. At least we have some art or people are trying to bring attention to, let's say, maybe houses that are in disrepute, but it's like really good art over there. It's like we did these murals, but no one's paying attention when it was just condemned buildings. But now that there's murals, oh, let's go over there and check it out. What, what role can that play in kind of maybe bringing a city up and having more attention around it to kind of help solve some of the issues that are that are here well i mean i think that's it in a nutshell i mean taking vacant buildings and putting art in the windows or um, temporarily using vacant storefronts or having developers who have long projects that are sitting in neighborhoods have their spaces you know being activated and used as opposed to dark yeah. Um, all of that stuff has been proven over time, you know, over years to be beneficial. Um, I think safety is the biggest <clears throat> problem in Baltimore. People feeling safe, feeling like they can visit the city. Um, and art is just a great way of solving that problem <clears throat> or, or helping, not solving, but definitely 
making it feel like we're investing in our own city. Our artists are investing yeah. in their own city. I, you know, I had this conversation the other day with someone. And it's like even something as simple as beautification. If people come into a neighborhood and roses are planted and the grasses are green, you you know you can see that there's care and attention. And yeah. I, art is very much the same way. You come into a neighborhood and you see a vibrant mural. And it speaks to the community and what's going on in the community. You can see that there's attention, yeah. and um, that that does nothing but improve um, mental health. You know, everything from mental health to um, visitorship. You know, and tourism. Yeah, I yeah. agree with that. Thank you. Sure. Um, so that's all I have for the real questions. Now let's just get weird. Uh, <laughs> so I got a, I got like five questions. Um, these are kind of all over the place, but. Okay. They're interesting, I guess. So you, you had you had about 20 minutes to think this one over. What is your favorite movie? <laughs> I'm going to fail miserably. I'm going to fail. <laughs> Wait, as soon as you said that, I started thinking immediately. And then I'm like, I love movies so much. And um, I watch movies all the time, but I'm not going to be able to pinpoint one movie. Um, I love, like, I love Wes Anderson, so... Um, uh, I just saw, um, what is it called with Joaquin Phoenix, the black and white film. Have you seen that yet? What's it called? Um, is that a oh, French dispatch or no? No, not that's the Wes Anderson uh, film. Um, but it was a really beautiful movie. Oh, it's called come on, come on. Oh yes. Yes. I haven't seen it, but I've heard of it. Yeah. Probably one of the best movies we've seen in a long time, but favorite movies too hard. Yes, it's too I, hard. I might broaden it out. Like, what? what what's it like? I had um, I had Terrell Telford on um, for Band of Vices, and his response was golden. He was just like, "My favorite movie at this moment." And I was like, "All right." He's like, it, it, "It's not all inclusive. It's not forever, but you know, in this moment." Yeah. <laughs> and he's yeah. like, "Raging Bull." I was like, "All right, good on you. Good on you." <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, all right. What is something that makes you laugh no matter what? Something that makes me laugh no matter what. My son. That's a good one. All right, now we're getting to food questions. Uh, what is your favorite dessert? Favorite dessert? Oh, ice cream. Uh, flavor? Coffee chip. Coffee Ooh. chocolate okay you get it you get it that's a that's a good flavor um i, I forget it's some some i think it might be uh a cold brew flavored ice cream i was like this is great really yeah wow it, uh -huh. does it have caffeine in it <laughs> of, of course there is <laughs> um so see i got two more i got two more for you um how do you manage stress? What is like one one of those techniques for you? Like, is it you know you hit the gym? Is it what, what what's that look like for you? Um, well, I used to exercise more, and that definitely helps. Um, how do I manage stress? Not well. I wish that I managed it better. Yeah. Um, humor, a little escapism. I'm pretty good at like um, shutting down one side and letting the other take over. Um, yeah. Spending time with my friends really is the best way for me my stress and um and with my son too he's a great distraction i dig it i watch the disney channel that helps me <laughs> helps me because like oh these wonderful kids nothing's happening to them they're not corrupted yet <laughs> meanwhile it's like the world's falling around it's like oh no 
I know it's so funny. I hate to say that Netflix helps because I'm not sure if it does, but I do spend a little too much time on that. <laughs> I mean, I was watching HBO Max and I was like, oh, snap, I got a podcast to do. <laughs> Um, so lastly, um, as a musician, uh, favorite piece of um, music, whether it be a piece of music that you've played or a piece of music that you just really like, that you're like, um, all right, this is great. Again, that's like a really, that's like the movie question. Um, I will say that um, there, there is a movie out called Power of the Dog and the soundtrack is by Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead. I was just talking about this with my boyfriend the other day. And it, he uses a lot of cello. So right now that's my favorite thing to listen to. And it's, it's like contemporary classical music, but I like so much music. I couldn't even begin to answer that favorite question. No, I, I mean, at least it gives you some insight where it like, even if it's favorite, it kind of forces the person to think it's like, yeah, I'm going to give you a larger answer <laughs> and it gives you a little bit more context. Um, Cause yeah. I'm right now I'm ranging between listening to Charles Mingus and video game themes. And those are wildly different things. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's basically what's pretty much going on in my hemisphere. So I'm listening to this like contemporary classical music and then, um, God, what else was I was listening to like some old Morchiba the other day for no particular reason, the very first album from like 1998 or something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's great. So that's literally everything that I have, but I want to invite you to um, shamelessly plug. This has been great. Thank you for being on this podcast, but if there's anything that you want to plug, you now have the floor. Oh, shamelessly plug. Oh, yes. Well, I mean, I would love for everyone after the 18th to please come by and um, participate in the show because it is participatory. Um, we'll have materials here, so you don't have to bring anything unless you want to. Um, and just stay tuned to our website because there's going to be um, different programming throughout the, the show, which goes through March. Um, I would also like to shamelessly plug um, E. Brady Robinson's going to have a show going up at uh, Hotel Indigo later this month. It's called Skater Girls, and it's all about female empowerment and um, roller skating. So it's super bubblegum and fun. Um, and then lastly, I just want to let the artists out there know that the 25th anniversary of Out of Order, our free home loose leaf show, um, we'll start promoting soon and anyone can participate and it's free. So everyone should stay tuned for that. That will be in April. <laughs> and what is that website for the fine folks that don't know? Sure, it's mdartplace.org. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> it's time to do my wrap up here. So for, um, Amy Cavanaugh of the Maryland Art Place. I am Rob Lee saying that there is art in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for it. Mm -hmm.